All right. Well, I'm very, very honored and very pleased um, that Stephen Simpson is with us this morning. Um, you know him. I'm sure this is not the first time he's preached here by a long shot. He's a dear brother, a dear friend, um, and someone who consistently ministers to us with the word when he's here. So um, we appreciate his willingness to uh, step in on uh, late notice and short notice and to bring us the word this morning. So, Stephen. Thank you, Ron. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I'm really honored to be able to share this morning. Uh, like all of you, I was really hoping to hear from Pastor Larry. Uh, I know a little bit about what he's prepared, and I know that he'll have opportunity to share that word with you hopefully next Sunday and soon. And uh, I encourage you to get the word out and uh, get everybody here so they can hear uh, his word. And uh, he's going to be ministering out of Psalm 145. And we were dialoguing a little bit yesterday just in preparation for today. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm, I'm working on Psalm 145. I said, wow, my favorite verse, my life verse, what I believe is part of my calling is in that psalm because it says one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And that is a picture of, of really what God is doing in the kingdom where one generation and another generation come together and encourage one another in the Lord and declare God's works and his faithfulness. So you're going to want to be here for that. I wish I could be. Uh, but I'll have to, I'll have to listen to it. But we will continue to pray for Pastor Larry and for Ann, uh, during this time. And I would really sincerely ask everybody here, uh, for your grace this morning. Pray for me, uh, that the Lord will help me to deliver what, uh, He's given to me and what I pray will be a blessing to you as you begin this new year. Happy New Year to all of you, and I pray that you had a wonderful Christmas. Um, today or this week is the celebration of Christmas in the Orthodox Church. So for all of you who are observing that, it's Christmas all over again, right? As the great theologian Roy Wood once said, I wish it could be Christmas every day, and in Christ it can be. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning for just a few minutes is the transforming power of the word. The transforming power of the word. Uh, our primary text is going to be Luke 4. Uh, now I'm going to mention a lot of other Bible verses. If you like to take notes, and I think it's a good idea to take notes, um, if, if you don't write down anything I say, would you please write down the scripture verses? And then you can go back later and read and dig in. Uh, as we start off this year, let's get it started off right. And there's no better way than to start off in the Word. Uh, a lot of people uh, want things to happen in the Lord, but they don't sow the seed. My dad said, uh, a lot of people are waiting for their ship to come in, but they never sent a ship out. And... Uh, we have an opportunity to sow our time and to sow our focus into the Word. 
and believe that as we do, the word will come alive in us and change us and empower us and feed us and overflow from us and become a blessing to other people. Amen. Um, there are some signs that you may not be reading the word enough. If any of these apply to you, it's a signal to you that maybe you need to pick up the Bible, dust it off, and read it. One sign that you're not reading your Bible enough is you open up your Bible to the book of Luke and World War II savings bonds fall out of your Bible. Uh, or if you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were a band that had some hit songs in the 60s. Or if your favorite Old Testament character is Hercules, um, you may want to check again. Uh, if a small family of woodchucks has taken up residence in Psalms, that you need to look there again. The number one sign that you may not be reading your Bible enough is you keep falling for it every time the pastor says, turn to first condominiums. Um, now... There's power in the Word of God. I heard someone say that the Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries. Um, My grandfather, who was a pastor for more than 60 years, uh, gave advice to other pastors when their churches are going through a hard time, and that is preach the Word, preach the Word, preach the Word. Continue to preach the Word through the hard times and the easy times, but let the Word do the work. My dad was a butcher uh, before he went into ministry, and he learned a lot about cutting meat. And when I was a boy, and I would try to be cutting on a steak or a piece of beef, and I'd be sawing and, and, and hacking at it, and my dad say, son, son, just let the knife do the work. And if we will let the word do the work, it's amazing what can happen in our lives. Now, before we get to our main text, I'm just going to mention... A few scriptures. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Psalm 119. The psalmist says this, I have hidden your word in my heart, so that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart to keep me from missing the mark. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. So I've put the word of God in my heart to keep me in line, to keep me on track, to keep me going where I need to be going, to keep me out of the darkness. Romans 8 says this, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Anyone in here this morning want life and peace? Good. There's three people. The rest of you, we're just going to have an altar call. Um, life and peace. And by the way, that word life doesn't just mean existing or surviving, or staying alive. It's abundant life. It's overflowing life. It's energizing life. Man, I love, listen, I'm so honored to be a member of this church, but we don't get to come every Sunday. We don't get to be here like y'all do. And 
So we don't have the opportunity always to be in the kind of worship that we were in this morning. How many of you appreciate the worship team here? Do you? Man, I got to tell you. Maybe I'm biased and maybe I'm not. I travel all over the place. This church has the finest worship team that I've ever been around. And um, and it's not just because they're skilled musicians, and they are, but it's because they themselves are worshipers. And so when they get up, what flows out of their instruments, what flows out of their singing, are hearts geared toward, focused on the Lord. And that anointing runs through. So for my wife and I, wow, it's so refreshing to be able to come and to be in the presence of God with you. Life and peace. I need it. I don't know about all the rest of you who didn't raise your hands, but I need that this morning. And it says the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So how do we renew our minds? How do we get his word into our heart? How do we focus on him so that The result is life and peace. I want to talk about Jesus. Now, how many of you know, Scripture says in Philippians and other places that Jesus, when he came from heaven to earth, he emptied himself. We think sometimes, well, Jesus could do all these great things here on earth because he was God. Of course he could do it. But Scripture says That when he came to earth, when he humbled himself and was born of a virgin in that little stable, in that manger, that he emptied himself of all of that. And so Jesus had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, had to rely upon the Holy Spirit, had to walk in the Holy Spirit in the same way that we do. We have access to the same Holy Spirit that filled and led Jesus. Well, that is good news. Now, the interesting thing as we begin in Luke 4 is now this is going to blow your mind. Um, this is very complicated. Luke 4 comes right after Luke 3. I know that comes as a shock to many. So what happened in Luke 3? Well, in Luke 3, Jesus is baptized. And uh, it's very amazing. He goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, who was recognized as a prophet. And... Uh, and he humbles himself and submits himself to John. And and John says, whoa, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, you're the man. And so John, uh, that's my translation, by the way. You won't find that in the King James. And John baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes out of the water, all of heaven and the Father are rejoicing. And the heavenly father speaks and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. I mean, when God's happy, everybody's happy. If God ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Somebody needs to crochet that and put it in a frame and on the wall and needlepoint. If God ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But God was happy. He was pleased. 
His favor came and rested upon Jesus. That was a great day. Would you agree that was good? I mean, there's good and then there's really good. And that was really good. Now, how many of you know life can change on a dime? And you can be in the high place and you can be happy and everything's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, things can get really, really serious. So Luke 3 moves into Luke 4. And what happens in Luke 4? We'll begin in verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's important. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and was led by the Spirit. Everybody say, led by the Spirit. That's important. That's going to be really important in this story. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Okay? He was led by the Spirit into increased prosperity. He got a new Bentley and a big mansion on a hill, and everything was hunky-dory and sunshine and roses. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, I'm telling you what, folks. This scripture bothers me so much. Listen. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You say, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't lead me into the wilderness. No. The wilderness is bad. It's bad. The wilderness is bad. I don't want to go to the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Oh, and it gets better. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. It's interesting to me. The devil didn't send the deputy to do this. The devil didn't send some two-bit flunky. The devil showed up himself in the wilderness to tempt Jesus. Now... How did Jesus get there? Who led him? Yikes. I need to move on because I don't want to run y'all out of here. He was tempted for 40 days. That's more than a month. Man, if I get tempted for about five minutes, I start getting weak. And in those days... He ate nothing. Well, there again, I mean, it's getting hardcore. Y'all don't be religious on me this morning, okay? The Bible's not a religious book. This is a real... How many of you believe this actually happened? All right. He ate nothing. Afterward, when it was over, he was hungry. I reckon. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to be bread. In the wilderness, especially in that wilderness, there's a lot of stone. Man, there could have been a lot of bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It is written. The wilderness is a hostile and barren place. I've been to that wilderness. It's it's like pictures you see of the moon. It's sand and rock and barren and it seems lifeless. 
And it gets hot. It can get 120 degrees easy there. They say, well, it's a dry heat. So is an oven. Uh, it's hot. There's no food. There's no water. There's nothing. No trees, no bushes. And not only is it barren of all good, but the devil's there. Now, Jesus was not in the wilderness because he missed God. Jesus wasn't lost. He didn't somehow wander into there by mistake. Uh, Jesus wasn't led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be punished. Man, that struck a chord, didn't it? Because somebody's in the wilderness this morning. And the devil's been condemning you. And saying, you're here because you're bad. You're here because God forgot about you. You're here because God doesn't care. I'm going to tell you right now, the devil's a liar. Oh yeah, we can, we can do stupid things. We can sin. We can, we can make mistakes. We can do something bad. And that can certainly have consequences. But don't think that just because you are in a wilderness or because someone else is in a wilderness, that it's because uh, they're wrong, they're bad, God doesn't love them, God's forgotten about them, ha, ha, ha. That's not how this works. The wilderness can be a place of encountering God and finding his provision. And when the Holy Spirit leads you there, you can bet that that's what's going to happen. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because he is with you. And you can know that when you come up on the other side of that valley, there is a table prepared for you, full of good things. And all of your enemies are going to have to stand around and watch you enjoy the bounty of the Lord. And that's a word for somebody this morning that you need to stand on. In our own carnality or limited understanding, we think that if we're really walking right with God, then we'll never have a wilderness experience. And I am here to promise you that if you're really walking right with God, you will be led into the wilderness. That's not really what you wanted to hear this morning, is it? But don't worry. The story is just beginning. It's not over. Sometimes we think if we're really spiritual, we won't have trouble. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was in the center of God's will. He was led by the Spirit. You know, the enemy is powerful, he's crafty, but he's not all-powerful, and he's not all-knowing. He's not all-seeing. But the enemy does know how to appeal to the weakness of our flesh. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we're vulnerable. He knows what will tempt us. 
And by the way, we all have our own areas where we're more tempted than others. I'm not tempted by cigarettes or tobacco. I'm not. So that temptation wouldn't work on me. But boy, howdy, if the devil floats a barbecue sign in front of my eyes, (laughs) I'm like, I have decided to follow Jesus. Barbecue! Glory! So we all have... I sense that I'm not alone in this. I am. I'm in Tennessee. Hebrews 4, by the way, barbecue is not always a sin. I just want you to know. Hebrews 4 says that in his life, Jesus was tempted in every way that a person can be tempted. But he was without sin. That's a whole nother message. But don't conflate temptation and sin. Just because you got tempted doesn't mean you're in sin. Sin begins to happen when you begin to contemplate that temptation. And you begin to say, hmm, let's think about that for a moment. That's where you get into trouble. But Jesus was tempted in every way. You say every way? Every way that someone can be tempted. But he didn't sin. And here he is in the midst of this epic struggle, this spiritual, mental, emotional, physical struggle. And Jesus is fasting. Fasting is another powerful thing. Why? My friend Mahesh Chabda used to fast every year to start the year for 40 days. And Mahesh saw many, many miracles in his life and ministry. He saw a verified a young man raised from the dead. And... Uh, Some of you may have met Mahesh. He's a totally down-to-earth guy, lovable guy. But, I mean, to me, he's such a spiritual giant. And so I interviewed him for our magazine um, one time. And and I said, Brother Mahesh, why is fasting so powerful? Why does God tell us to fast and pray? Why does that work? What's the key to fasting? And he said, it's because fasting... Humbles us before God and God says, I will give grace to the humble. Man, that's simple, isn't it? So here's Jesus. He's fasting. He's humbling himself before God. He's facing uh, physical hunger as a sign of his hunger for God. He's hungry for God's will and for God's wisdom. So we humble ourselves in fasting before God and in prayer to prepare a place for him to be manifested in our lives. We make room for God's strength to be displayed in our weakness. And Jesus was physically hungry. He wanted food. It was a sacrifice. It wasn't easy. And the devil has this crafty plan to appeal to Jesus' hunger, but also to try to appeal to any sense of pride that Jesus might have. Let's do some tricks, Jesus. Do some magic. 
It's very difficult for the enemy to understand anyone who is not motivated in the same way that the enemy is motivated. How many of you know the enemy's motivations are perverse and cruel and evil and wicked and twisted? And it's hard for the devil to understand anyone who isn't motivated in that way. So he's trying to appeal to a sense of pride in Jesus. Jesus, come on, man. If you're really the son of God, there's some magic here for me. You're hungry. See those stones? Turn them into bread. You can have a feast. Let me tell you something. The Lord doesn't do miracles at the command or request of the devil. Jesus doesn't dance to the devil's tune. Jesus' will and his supernatural power cannot be manipulated. Now, we know Jesus was hungry. We know he was physically weak. And so in his weakness, when the enemy pops up with this idea, I mean, it's tough. It's tough even on a good day. But when you are weak, and you're facing this this uh, hunger and this physical battle and you're tired and it's hot and it's nasty and there's scorpions and, and it's just yuck. And here comes the devil with this little ploy. You're weak and you're vulnerable. Jesus is feeling all these things. So what does Jesus do? Where does he go? How does Jesus respond to this temptation? Jesus reaches down deep. He reaches down into his heart where the word of God was hidden. And he says to the enemy, it is written. When the devil comes to you with manipulation and crafty ideas and and wisdom and knowledge that's way beyond yours and power that's way beyond yours, my encouragement to you is to not spend a lot of time trying to reason with the devil or argue with the devil or think about the devil's plan or any of that. You turn to the enemy and you say, it is written. And you declare the word of God in power to the enemy and he will flee. Jesus said, it is written. The word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. It's unshakable. It's a light that cuts through the darkness and the fog of confusion. It's a trumpet blast that summons strength in the midst of weakness. John, the beloved disciple, says that Jesus himself is the living word in John 1. Jesus is God's word with skin on. He's the incarnate word. The word was in his heart. The word was in his mind. The word was in his mouth. The word was in everything Jesus did. Some preachers today try to denigrate or demean the importance of the written word of God. But you cannot separate the word from Jesus. Jesus is the word. So, any so-called Jesus that anybody might declare who is divorced from the word of God is not Jesus at all. Likewise, you can't divorce the word of God from the Holy Spirit. 
Brother Aaron Baxter used to talk about how that was one of the the greatest plans of the enemy was to divorce the the work of God and the word from the work of God in the spirit today. They cannot be divorced. Jesus called us to worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus looked at Satan, the tempter, and he quoted the word of God from Deuteronomy 8, 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So in this context, when Jesus says we live by the word, we see that Jesus did not only mean the word of God, how it guides our life, uh, life, but the Bible says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it is a continual ongoing word that leads us. You know, it's amazing this book that is thousands of years old, how fresh and relevant it is for us today, how it still works for us today, how it still guides us today. The word gives us life. It is our sustenance. It is our very bread We're changed and transformed by the word. As we feed on the word, we receive his life. We receive his health. We receive his strength. We receive his joy. Apostle Paul opened up many of his letters, many of, many of Paul's epistles. And by the way, epistle is not the wife of an apostle. Epistle is a letter. That was a joke and you can laugh. It'll make me feel better. Um, In Paul's letters, he opens up many of the letters with this. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. What that means is that everything else that Paul is about to write is for the purpose of us receiving the grace and peace of God. God's word gives us grace and peace when we hear it and obey it. Jesus told his disciples that his food was to fulfill the word of God and to do the will of God. That's in John 4. When facing down the crafty, cunning, relentless, evil tempter who sought to intimidate and confuse and corrupt Jesus, to steal Jesus' very soul, Jesus employed the only effective weapon, the sword of the Spirit. The word of God. Hebrews 4.12 talks about that sword and how it divides the soul, the flesh, our own will from the spirit of God. That which is not carnal, but is mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. It casts down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It was the weapon that would bring every thought and every evil thing, every ploy into captivity under the will of God. It's the weapon that accuses and judges the accuser. (laughs) When the enemy comes to accuse you and to mock you and to scorn you, 
All you need to do is say it is written because the word of God accuses him and judges him. And he who would bring judgment against you is forever judged in the name of Jesus. He who would seek to defeat you is forever defeated by the blood of Jesus. The word reveals reality and it teaches and empowers us to discern the authentic from the counterfeit. Now that's important because of what happened next in the wilderness. And I will hasten on. I started talking about barbecue and y'all started thinking about lunch. So I got to hurry now. The enemy decided to try something else. That didn't work. So he tried something else. In Luke 4, it says, Then the devil, uh, Luke 4, 5 through 8, Then the devil, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and all their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It is written. Once again, the enemy comes with with all this bamboozlement, all this spectacle, and says, Jesus, look at all this. This is mine, and I can give it to whoever I want to. Liar. Liar. Satan is the father of lies. But he is a master manipulator and a great illusionist. And so he gives this illusion to Jesus. And he says, all you have to do is worship me. Just a little. Just take a sec. Just... Just acknowledge my power and I'll give you everything. Wow. Remember, Jesus is still fasting. It's still the wilderness. It's still a hard place. For some, it might have been a great temptation to think, hey, if, if, if I can just say something nice about Satan, then look at what he can give me. Let me tell you what the devil will give you. He'll give you heartache and heartbreak. He will give you destruction and death. But man, he knows how to put a a pretty candy coating on it all. It's like the U2 song, sweet the sin, bitter the taste in my mouth. It seems sweet in a moment, but it turns to bitterness. And Satan is trying to pretend that he is the equal to God. And he is not. But I will tell you this. Satan does function in the supernatural realm. 
And he was there before you ever heard about it. So be careful. This is why I don't have time to talk about this this morning, but I'll just mention it. Never try to access the supernatural apart from God. Don't play. Don't play with witchcraft. Don't play. You say, oh, it's cute, it's fun, it's silly, it's... No, no. Never try to access the supernatural apart from the Lord. Because apart from the Lord, you are way out of your league. And Satan, the skilled illusionist, has laid out this mirage of what he could give to Jesus if Jesus would only worship him. This is one of the devil's more common tricks, by the way. He lies about his authority. He lies about his dominion. And he offers you the world if you'll only give him your soul. I'm tempted to talk about the little mermaid now and Ursula and her promise to Ariel. But I don't know how many of you will get that. It's a good one. You didn't know that the little mermaid was such a spiritual story, did you? Now you know. Jesus said in Matthew 16, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And the fact is, ultimately, Satan has nothing to offer us, really, except for lies and misery. The spirit of deception is a terrible thing. But the word of God was alive in Jesus... And he had discernment and fortitude. He never even entertained the devil's temptation. He said, get behind me. It is written. Worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's Deuteronomy 6. Any temptation, any confusion was immediately shattered by the hammer of God's word. So for Jesus, an emphasis on the word was not in any way a hindrance to his worship, but the word was a foundation for his worship. It was the key. The word will keep your worship rightly focused and pure. It reminds us that worship is not about us. It's all about him. The word of God will help kill selfishness And release the sweet incense of selfless service, which is worship. So, here's the enemy. He's he's tempted Jesus with spectacle, with a counterfeit power, counterfeit worship. Now, in Luke 4, 9, it says he brought Jesus to Jerusalem. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands he will bear you up. Now, that's the devil quoting Scripture. How many of you know the devil knows Scripture? 
He doesn't know the meaning of it, but he knows how to quote it. That's why you better know the author of Scripture to help you discern between the voices. He says, in the hands of the angels, they will bear you up, lest you should dash your feet against a stone. Jesus answered to him and said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So here's the devil tempting Jesus once again. Jesus, we're up on this high place. Just go ahead and jump. You won't hurt yourself because when you start to fall, the angels will come swooping in and, and pick you up. You won't get hurt. You won't even hurt your foot. Nothing will happen to you because, after all, God's word says that the angels will protect you. So go ahead and do it. Jump, Jesus. Jesus said, it is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You're a liar. Just as Satan tried to tempt Jesus with false food and false worship, here he is tempting Jesus with counterfeit power. You know, if you don't really know, if you're not really skilled, it's hard sometimes to tell a counterfeit dollar bill from the real thing. But if you've studied and if you've learned, you can tell the difference. If you've studied and learned the Word of God, and if you've walked and communed with the author of the Word of God, you can tell the difference between what is real and what is counterfeit. Jesus tried to induce Jesus to do the spectacular for the sake of a spectacle. And Jesus was not fooled. The enemy will try to misuse God's word to war against God's will. And to the immature or to the non-believing, that can be a trap. Likewise, the enemy is an expert at counterfeiting worship and counterfeiting false fires of supernatural activity. If you are simply chasing the supernatural and not pursuing the Holy Spirit, then you can be easily deceived. If you only want the supernatural to fulfill your selfish desires or to entertain you, then you're going to fall for the enemy's plan and you're going to get the enemy's result. Now, we sang this morning, I believe you still heal and demons still bow. I believe there is power in trusting in a faithful God. Now, that's real power. That's not the counterfeit. We don't want to chase the counterfeit. When you've tasted the real, the counterfeit is like ashes in your mouth. It's repulsive. If you're only chasing after the supernatural instead of the supernatural God, then you'll find out that the shiny object that you were chasing was simply fool's gold. The enemy tried to pervert God's beautiful promises of protection for us. That's what he tried to do to Jesus. Jesus was having none of it. 
And he rebuked the enemy with this word from Deuteronomy 6. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. God will not be played with or manipulated. If we expect him to protect us or to bless us when we are perverting his word, when we're rebelling against his plan, when we're acting presumptively, we will find that the fall is long and the landing is hard. Everyone wants to see God do something spectacular, and often he does. God's acts are mighty, they're powerful, and they bring salvation. But it is his ways, given to us in his word, revealed to us by his spirit, that gives us life day by day. I recently heard my dad say, God's acts deliver us, but God's ways preserve us. We need to stay in the word. We need to learn his ways because the enemy will come back again and again and again when we least expect it. Now, we know that even when this time of temptation was over in the wilderness, we know that the enemy tempted Jesus again. It says in Luke 4, 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. So the devil will look for opportune times when we're weak, when we're discouraged, to come and tempt us. But Jesus, having been filled with the Spirit, and found faithful in the wilderness, went forth in God's power and wisdom, and he began to teach the people. We have that same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit and the same Word that lifted Jesus and preserved Jesus in the wilderness is here for us today. Jesus was ready. The Word was in him. The Spirit was on him. We can be ready. The word can be in us. The spirit is upon us. Jesus, the living word, was conceived by the spirit and he was confirmed by the word. I mean, it goes right back to the Christmas story, doesn't it? When the angel Gabriel came to this young girl, maybe barely into her teens, this young virgin girl from a a poor town, an insignificant, seemingly impoverished, forgotten backwater of Israel. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would bear the Messiah. And Mary gave one of the greatest statements of faith in all of the Bible. She said, be it unto me according to your word. Mary had questions, but she didn't have doubt. She said, how can this be? She didn't say what John the Baptist daddy said. Prove to me so I can know this is true. She didn't say that. 
She said, how can this be? In other words, in her mind, it was true. How? I don't know. I don't know how. But be it unto me according to your word. You said it. You're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I believe it is done in the name of Jesus according to your word. How can this be? She knew that the Lord had spoken and that he would cause it to happen in his time. What was impossible with people was made possible by the word of God. God spoke his word and the universe was created. Receiving his word into our hearts and minds will transform us. It will sustain us and it will work through us to do what is impossible with man. So what I want to ask you this morning is simply this. Not only to read the word, but I want you to just pray a simple prayer every time you open the Bible. Say, God, your word is alive. This is a special book. And I'm asking you, as the author of this book, would you come and sit with me while I read your word? Can we fellowship while I read your word? God, can I ask you some questions as I read your word? Would you show me what this means? Show me how this is to apply in my life. Show me what I'm to do. Is that, is that complex? Is that hard to do? No. We can all do that. And I would ask you here at the beginning of 2019, make this a year of seeking the Lord And reading his word together with his spirit. And watch what God will do. And when the wilderness comes. Notice I didn't say if. When the wilderness experience happens. When the storm comes. When the enemy comes to tempt. You're going to be ready. And when the enemy has all of his craftiness and all of his power. And all of his illusions, you can look at him having stored up the word in your heart, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can say, get behind me, it is written. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us alone and you've not left us in our blindness and our weakness, but you have given us your word and your spirit, and we are so thankful today. Forgive us, Lord, where we've taken that for granted, where we have tried to resist the enemy in our own strength. We repent of that. God, there are broken areas in our lives today, and we're asking for healing and peace, and renewal. I pray that you would knit us back together. I pray that you would pour the oil of your spirit upon every hurting place and every hurting person. And together, bring us into your perfect will. Bring us, Lord, through the valley of the shadow of death that we might sit with you at your table and feast in your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.